Hey everybody, welcome back to Energy Rants. I'm Tanner Grace, as always, I'm joined by Ross Barry. Ross, you are looking really good today. Everybody at home doesn't know when we record, we have our videos on, so that we can see each other. And Ross, did you like just get out of the shower or something? You look really mm. clean and nice. Yeah, I took a shower probably an hour ago. Half oh, thank you ago. so much for like, you know, cleaning it up for me. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I'm wearing cologne too, even though you can't smell it. It's like that, uh, remember those with the chili commercials, like scratch the screen and you can smell the tequilas <laughs> or whatever. Some girl of my, like, I think it was in college or whatever they came out, some girl of my class, like, is this stuff real? I was just like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, honey. I'm glad you get that reference, by the way. You're going to have a, you're going to have a tough time. Yeah. With uh, reality. Yeah, a lot of uh, bookkeeping uh, probably here at the beginning of the show. We're going to be covering a lot of cool stuff on the show today. We're talking about the One Ring, uh, obviously. I think that's one thing that's a, yeah. probably been the biggest topic. At the forefront of, of I think, our collective magic yeah. consciousness. Yeah. There's a new deck taking Pioneer by Storm. If you ever heard about this yet, we're going to be talking about that on the show as well today. Uh, I'll just go ahead and give a little teaser. If I had to play Pioneer tomorrow for for, for stakes, you know, of yeah. any kind, I'd be playing this deck. I have a... Uh... I have one last uh, chance to queue for the RC in, in Atlanta coming up in a couple weeks. At I'm going to be there, so so you should I, probably uh, try it. I'll probably LCQ if I don't, just because yeah, it's you should drivable. Probably show up. Yeah, it's so close. Um, yeah. But I will. Uh, I've got one chance, yep. one more chance to qualify at least in Rona, because I should probably look up other places around sure. Virginia I could go. But SCG's yeah. got one more, so I'm I'm still in. The, I do like the Spirit Stack. Um, I'm sorry I haven't gotten a, a guide out. That is coming. Um, Hashtag but, soon. Uh, yeah, Trademark. I'm. I'm like you know, I, I like the spirit stack, but I don't love it, and I played it enough to kind of get bored with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm I can, looking I can for something that. else. I still might play it. It is good. Um, and then um, one of the last things we're going to make sure that we cover on the show today, besides you know what comes up organically, you know, we're just going to cover uh, Lord of the Rings Limited for some of you limited fans out there. Also, we can get this show out in time. I'm winking at you, Brent. I know we're not giving you a large window, <laughs> but there is, a, I think, a belief, I believe there's an open this weekend where it's Lord of the Rings Limited. I'd have to check. But if not, then it's like next weekend on Arena. So, because uh, I have some very strong opinions about the format, and I drafted it probably, I don't know, 50 times or something yep. along the lines of that. I, I, dude, I'm bored, man. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm at the point of the, there's a real big downtime right now in between everything. Like, the, so, like, I have no gigs for like the next few weeks. So, um, yeah, and, I've got a know, couple weeks off myself, but I'm pretty happy yeah. about that. I prep for most pro tours as if I'm playing in them a lot of the time. So, like, you know, there's one coming up, and I'd like to be able to watch the limited portion. But, like I said, there's going to be some intro in this episode. Uh, maybe we can get the time set out for when we get past the non-magic stuff that we're talking about before. Because yeah. A lot of stuff's we'll going on. We'll definitely timestamp it for the uh, yeah the people that don't care. Because there's a few things about, you know, things that Ross and I care about we actually wanted to talk about ahead of time. Oh, uh, yeah. First and foremost, there's a lot of sports stuff going on. I know NBA free agency is about to come up. You and I had a little talk before the show. You don't need to go that far into it, but... I mean, Utah's in a pretty enviable position, it looks like. Oh, yeah. They, so essentially, they entered this offseason and they've already done a couple things, but they entered this offseason with three first round draft picks in what was supposed to be a very good draft. Um, they entered with a ton of cap space and several good building blocks for a team in Larry Markin and Walker Kessler and Ochai Abaji. Um, and those are versatile pieces that they can do a lot of things around. So, they basically entered with the most optionality, I think, of any team in the league. Um, and that is enviable just because, you know, you, you sort of get involved in every discussion. And then you can just sort of make value plays rather than be pigeonholed. Like, we absolutely need somebody who meets these criteria. Um, you can just sort of go for value. And that's what they did early on. A couple days ago, they made a trade using a good chunk of that cap space. They traded Rudy Gay in a second round pick, which is basically nothing, for John Collins from Atlanta. 
Collins is a guy that two, three years ago was a top 50 player in the NBA. He was averaging 21 and 10 on great efficiency. And whatever you do, do not Google John Collins' finger. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. You should. Uh, so injured his finger in 2022 or 2021. Yeah, it's been the same since, but if anyone can turn him around, I, I think Utah can do it. Because... So the, the, the issue is, is uh, he has a a, a, a boutonier, um, not not deformity, boutonier deformity. Boot, I can't remember what term they use after it, but basically there's a little piece of, uh, there's a little tendon so that when the tendons go up your fingers, they sort of split into three branches and the middle one is the one that is ruptured and it, it I guess it didn't heal properly the first time. Yeah. Um, but, and the, the big thing there is that it, it made his, sh- it was on his shooting hand. Yeah. So his shooting is plummeted. Everything else has actually stayed about the same, but it, he is a bit of an awkward fit in the modern NBA because his strengths outside of shooting make him more of a center on offense, but he yeah. can't really play center on defense because he doesn't protect the rim that well. Um, so it's hard to like fit him next to a traditional center unless he can shoot. And so the, he's one the, of the, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say he's one of the guys that really confuses me from a standpoint of like I don't watch the NBA the way you do. Yeah, but I used to do a lot of like fantasy for NBA because you know like fantasy sport, and yeah. he'd always be a very good fantasy player because you yeah. put him at centers up. And then I'm like, why do teams not like this guy? He's a great fantasy player. I'm like, oh, I get it now. You know, like when I what's all explain everything to me. And, and it's not that he was a bad player in Atlanta. He just kind of got froze out by the way they constructed the rest of the roster. And yeah. it, in the last couple of years, he's just basically spent his time being a corner shooter and with the shooting declining because of his injury, uh, his value becomes, dropped. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at his numbers, the post all-star break, which is a small sample this year, you saw his shooting rebound. So there's some hope that, that the injury is no longer a big issue. Um, and if he can return to his form, it's a, basically it's a great buy low play for Utah. Sure. Yeah. He does I mean, have, yeah. He, he has three more years left on his deal at a pretty high number. It's about 78 million total. So 26 per and Atlanta needed to get off. They have several big contracts on their books and they needed they, to get off one of them to avoid the luxury tax. They, and, they've been and trying to move this guy for what? Two years now. Two or three, his yeah. Name. Yeah. I've been hearing his name every trade deadline. Yeah. 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 Um, and they finally did. The funny part is that they just like kept demanding less and less and have basically got nothing at this point. It was just a pure salary <laughs> dump from their standpoint. Rudy Gay might not even please. make their team. Uh, if he does, it'll basically just be as a locker room guy, maybe very, and like end of the bench, you play five or 10 minutes a night. If most. someone gets hurt, you might get it some extra time. Yeah. Uh, and a future second round pick. So I liked that as a, as a buy low play The basically the two things that jazz are prioritizing and building the team right now are, uh, shooting and positional size and athleticism. And John Collins brings both of those. And a lot of the other players on the roster bring that too. all their, all their draft picks bring size and shooting, um, and so we're looking like a way different team than we did a couple of years ago. Like lack of positional size and, and well, we had the shooting, but lack of positional size and athleticism was a one of the downfalls of the last iteration of the Jazz with Donovan and Rudy and all the players around them. Like we had six foot Mike Conley, six one Donovan, six four Royce O'Neal, and six seven Boyan Bogdanovich surrounding Rudy. And now we're going to have like, you know, uh, we could play a front court that's like seven one, seven feet. Six nine with a seven foot wingspan, and then a backcourt that's like six four and six five with six eight and six nine wingspans. It's just uh-huh. gigantic. So, and that that's one of the things that made Denver so good this year. They just had incredible size, length, and athleticism, and it hit a lot of their individual yeah. defensive deficiencies. Yeah, they're like a mashup nightmare. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you know, obviously the Jazz don't have anyone on the level of Jokic because nobody does because he's the best player does. in the world. Yeah, I just can't understand how you could like look at Jokic like play a game and then look at Embiid play a game. And I get it, Embiid's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong, but like you look at their numbers and then you watch them play and like how you know, you know, if you factor in clutch and everything and like showing up in the fourth quarter or like leading your team to victories, are I can't imagine looking and being like, yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> like, yeah. I think a lot of people get skewed by the numbers and they think, yeah. oh, because Jokic only averages 25 at night instead of 33, he can't score as well. He can. That's he, not. He yeah. just realizes it's better to you know play yeah. point guard and distribute yeah. to his teammates a little bit more often. But if there's a night where he feel like, feels like he needs to score, you know, his teammates yeah. are shooting well or the way they're playing defense, like leaves him more open. He'll yeah. go for it and score. He'll make yeah, the right basketball decision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like he, and he'll go for a very efficient 40. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the best facilitators I've ever seen. And it's like you said, the the, the size factored in on some of these players like yeah. just makes it an actual nightmare. And, um, kind of. yeah, they had their, a lot of their free agents opt in. So Utah is now basically like, they don't have much cap space left. It's like somewhere For, between eight and 12 million, depending upon which non-guaranteed contracts they want to waive. Um, so I don't expect much else from them, especially in terms of free agency, but they kind of need a point guard at this point. I would really like, and it's sort of, it should be like a sort of caretaker point guard that'll be here for one to three years and just steady the ship before some of our young guys improve and we can, mm-hmm. you know, see if they can be point guards full time. Uh, so I'd love to get Monty Morris from the Wizards. They want like a second, they want some draft assets for him, but he's not worth a first. So a second or two in a matching contract like Taylor Horton Tucker, I think would work really well. If that's the only other move the Jazz make, I think they're poised to be a, a low-level playoff team, which yeah, would be way ahead of experience, schedule. I think that's a thing that uh, I know I had a problem with uh, talking about because, um, you know, coming from a baseball background where, you know, being my favorite sport, where one of the biggest problems I had with, like, the mid-level and low-level teams is if you're going to tank, like, embrace it. Like, fully fucking tank. And you look at the last two teams in the in the, in the major leagues who, like, did it really, really well. And like, you know, having a championship attached to it is the, that's the goal, right? So you look at the Atlanta Braves, you look at the Houston Astros, right? They're like, when they tank, they tank hard, right? And don't get me wrong, they also get very lucky. Like a lot of their young players all blossomed superstars at the same time. That's a big part of it. And they had money that they could go in behind this. But you see a lot of teams like, I mean, you've heard me talking about the Colorado Rock. I think they're the worst right organization in all of sports, not just baseball. I think they just might actually be, like, they're delusional, yeah. right? But like, they tank at the same time as trying to compete and like signing. I just like don't understand. But in basketball, like there's tanking and then there's like we're taking with like a goal and like getting some of the experience. One of my friends were really you know, beat this into my head about it being important. You look at like the Celtics, right? Heat. You look at Denver and stuff like you know gradually getting better as the as the playoffs go on. You know year after year. You know, he's talking to me about New Orleans, where I was like, "Man, I, if we're gonna take, I wish we tanked a little harder when we did." And he's like, "No, no, no. like sometimes you need you need to get your your butts kicked in the playoffs because like you need to understand this is what it takes to win." And the, these players you are also like your careers are a little bit longer in basketball. Like basketball longevity for like the good players is longer than you know most of the league baseball and football to begin with. So like you know some of these guys are gonna be around for fifteen years and be good players. So like getting them that experience is a big deal. No, it very much is. I- the way I look at it is you, when you tear a team down, yeah, you want to, you know, tear it down as much as possible because you're in step one 
of yeah. building a great team, and that is asset accumulation. So you sell off your older players, you get whatever assets you can, whether some combination of young players that have potential and draft assets, draft picks, and you know you accumulate as many assets as you can. You you just like maximize the value of all of your players in every, any given trade. Then you look to acquire players that you can be that are foundational pieces on your roster. And this happens more in basketball because like the impact of each individual player, both on your roster and on the court, is higher than in other sports. There's only five people on a team, you know, on the court for each team on, on at any given time. So like you can dominate a game as a basketball player. You can't really do that as a baseball player unless your name is Shohei Itani, Uh, in which case, you know, the rules of society just don't apply to you anymore. <laughs> the rules he of just, physics. He has transcended. Yeah. transcended. Yeah. Yeah. He's just. Can we talk about a, that for like a couple seconds? In a separate because, category. Uh, I, I've said this before publicly. I don't know if I've said this on the show. I kind of wish that I'm still like, you know, doing sports radio or something. It's, it's in some way, shape or form. Um, I remember when I was at a poker table one time, like some of our big baseball guy and like multiple people were into it. We had like a nice baseball discussion. And um, I don't know if it came up, but something along the lines of like, you know, they're like, like, you know, so it was like, who's your favorite team? Like, who are your favorite players of all time? And I answered. And then the question came up of like, who do you think is the best player of all time? And like, there's always a big discussion about that. Like, you know, is it Ruth? You know, is it like someone like Mantle or, you know, uh, any of the other guys? Like, you know, someone like um, a couple of people like don't get mentioned enough in, in those things. Like, like Henry Aaron doesn't get mentioned enough in the, in the talks of like greatest of all time, either like top three, top five. Sometimes people have to leave him off and I'm like, that's a travesty because he might be one of the best players of all time. You know, Barry Bonds, et cetera. But yeah. someone's like, who do you think is the best player to ever play the game? And I go, era doesn't matter. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, you know, it's like, I have Ruth a lot lower than most people just because like, I, it's, it, it's, it's a weird thing to rate. Anyway, uh, I've said the best baseball player, I think, to ever actually play the game of baseball is Shohei Otani. And like, you know, the, the people I've talked to, like their heads broke up. They're like, what? You think he's the best player? I'm like, to ever grace the baseball field? Yes. I think he's the most talented player to ever step on a baseball field. What he is doing is unheard of, unparalleled. And like one guy got kind of like uppity about it. He's like, you think he's better than Ruth? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and like, cause I, at the time I hadn't said that, like, I don't consider Ruth. Like I consider Ruth like, like game defining. Right, like you know, like he was the first like real superstar. Like he transcended the game. Yeah, he, you know? he popularized baseball on a national yeah. scale, on a on a global scale too. Like he would go visit Japan and they would like mob him and stuff. You know, something like that. So, um, like he's they're almost directly they're in a lot of ways uh, responsible for baseball being big in other countries and stuff. But when you go by pure talent and skill to get on a baseball field, no one touches Shohei Otani, and he's yeah. done it now for about three or four years in a row now. You know, does it again this year. We're going to see the most ridiculous contract in the history of baseball next year when he signs in whatever capacity it is, either at annual dollars or size total, maybe even both. We'll see. Do you think he's going to hit half a billion? If someone is going to give him uh, like an eight to 10 year deal, yes. I think there's a chance that someone like the Dodgers or San Francisco or something like that, I think he wants to, he's, wants to play the West Coast. It seems like you know, there's a chance he ends up in like New York, but please still loves God, do not go to New York. Um, but, like, let's say he ends up in L.A., right? L.A. is big one, um, higher annual dollars in less years. And, like, let's just say they signed, like, a five-year deal. Like, is it 500 related at that time? Like, I mean, like, that's... I mean, he's worth it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, at that point, you're looking at, you know, a lower big... Like, a lower number overall, but you're looking at more per year. Yeah. And I think he's he's going to shatter possibly both, but he's shattering one of them. Either the biggest contract of all time, or the, the highest annual salary of all time. And he's worth he's worth every dollar you spent in the diesel. Um 
a merchandising that goes along with him and just having him under <laughs> like, dude, come on. Like, you think there's going to be an empty, like, if he sides with the Dodgers, you think there's going to be an empty seat in that building for the first, like, year that they play? No. Same thing with San Francisco. Like, it'll be the most sold jersey of, like, all time. The first time he goes to a team, that jersey is going to go through the roof. Yeah. Now you're, uh, you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of baseball, as we get to that, um, if you if you look at like you know my Twitter or like some sports, everybody's seen. I retweeted and tweeted a few things this week. Uh, my alma mater, LSU, won a national championship again this week in uh, in baseball in a pretty uh, awesome fashion. It was a crazy uh, College World Series final, but getting there was absurd too. We had to beat the number one team in the nation two times in a row without losing, and did it on the back of some timely hitting, some really good defensive plays, and some absurd pitching. And then we had to beat the number two team in the nation two out of three times in the final. We ended up doing that. Um, the team's absurd, uh, like just top to bottom, just a whole bunch of glue guys, some really talented dudes, um, led by, uh, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, who are very likely to be the number one and the number two pick in the draft. That's never happened for two players from the same school going number one and number two, but it's arguable that they should, uh, our center fielder that's, uh, Cruz, he won the golden spikes award. That's like the Heisman for, for college baseball. He was hovering around like 420, 430 the whole season with like absurd on base skills, plays a good defensive center field, has power to all fields. Like most of his home, like most of his home runs are not pulls. They're in the center, the right center. You know, just a good polished hitter. Like this is the kind of guy that, let's say he is actually this good, he can make it the majors in two years. Like he's one of those guys, you know, he's going to uh, shoot up through the ranks. Skeens is a really cool one. This is the guy that we got from the transfer portal. He like wasn't even on our team last year. But he's playing for, I want to say Navy, but I think it was actually Air Force. He's playing for one of the military uh, teams, right? The dude's yeah. like, and I might be underselling this, the dude's like 6'5", 260. But he is a big boy. Like, and I mean like fit, you know, 250, 6'5". Like he is, he, he looks like a man. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Throws 100 on like every pitch, right? And has a decent second offer, right? He's got some decent off-speed stuff. If he can develop any of that, he will be like ace level possibly at the major league level, like the fastball already plays there. He's got to work on a few other things. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, he's playing um, for one of these schools and they pulled him aside. And they're like, Hey, like not only are you the best player on this team, you're one of the best players in the entire country. Like, you really should go to an actual like college that is a sports college because they're like, you're going to get drafted super high. If you do well, like this is your actual future. Like we get that. Like they actually did a right by it, which I think is like awesome to hear and see that the U.S. military does anything like this. Um, hey, I got no idea was going to get a scoff from you. But because the thing is, is like if he graduates from uh, Air Force or whatever, he has to do what is it, like minimum two years or whatever. Like didn't David Robinson do this? With, yeah, with, with the Navy. Navy. Two years. Yeah, like, yeah. And they're like, this this could hurt your career in, in baseball. But like they know they're going to cost this kid like at least 10 million. Like he's going to make like $9 million on his contract. Whatever, right? And then, like, if he makes it to the majors, you know, five or seven years from now, he's going to sign some absurd deal if he's healthy. Uh, very much like a Steven Strasburg type guy, just pumping, you know, uh, Smith Striders. He's going to pump a lot of fastballs at you. The velocity is there. Uh, in most of his starts, he was getting into like the 115, 125 pitch range and was still getting triple digits on that. And like I said, still has some, some Aussie offerings. So it was nice to see everything come together. And everything, and like, got to watch the games. Uh, I was watching all the games up to the to the final series of my best friend, and then his brother just shows up at the house. And he's like, "Hey, pack a bat." He's like, "What is it? We're driving to Omaha," and they just drove up to Omaha and watched the games up in Omaha, Nebraska. I was like, "Y'all are nuts!" Or whatever. How far of a drive is that from here, from Baton Rouge? I think it's like sixteen hours. Let me pull it up real quick. You know, like, so 
you did add a few just for you know stops and stuff because you got to pee and like you got to get omaha nebraska i'm pulling it up right now directions if you leave from baton rouge right now uh 14 hours and it's so 15 hours and it just looks miserable because uh, i've driven through arkansas before you drive up through arkansas there there's nothing there it's <laughs> it's trees <laughs> literally just trees it's not so a lot of fun there. Look, man, we're 20 minutes into this. We can keep going. Let's go ahead and start talking about some magic. What do you think? Mm, sure. Well, we'll, I, we'll, that was a very, that was a very, eh, fine. True dot. I'm, I'm enjoying the sports talk. We got, yeah, yeah, we, can win. Do we got a perfect game get thrown. Oh, that's right. So yeah, we had a perfect game get thrown last night by a horrible human being, but still a perfect game got thrown last night. Uh, the 24th, I believe in major league history. Uh, it was a Yankee. It was uh, Domingo German for a perfect game against the Oakland A's last night. I made the Fucking joke. Yankees. That, yeah, this might be the least attended perfect game of all time. I don't have the exact numbers on that, but I have to believe there's like probably less than 10,000 people in the stands because it's in Oakland. Uh, there's got to be a perfect game from like 1904. I, I don't count that when the stadiums sat 4,000 people or whatever, like in, in the last like 100-ish years, you know, the last like 80, 90 years, right? Yeah. Um, it's in, the fourth in one. In the modern era. In the modern era, right? It's the fourth one ever thrown by a New York Yankee. Uh, I was joking around with Ross about this last night. Uh, actually, it's really funny. All of their uh, all of their first names start with D. It's really funny. So it's it's David Urban from last night, David Wells, uh, David Cohen, and the the very famous one that people might not know or forget or maybe forget because I think it was from like the fifties or whatever. Don Larson threw a perfect game in the full World Series. So uh, step up to the big stage, buddy. <laughs> we got one there. We got we got you covered. So pretty nuts. Uh, I had like literally just bought a brand new TV yesterday and I got it hooked up just in time to watch the eighth and ninth live. And it was pretty awesome. Uh, there was none of the like really big defensive plays that you usually see. You know, almost every no hitter or, or, or uh, every game comes with like that one defensive play, right? Like I think it was the Dwayne Wise catch in the Mark Burley. This might be like the greatest catch in the history of, of baseball. It's like, yeah, you're just, just, uh, just Google. I mean, I'm sorry, just YouTube Dwayne Wise perfect game catch or, Mark Burley, perfect game catch, or, you know, perfect game catch, uh, perfect game saving catcher. It's Dwayne Weiss, center fielder for the White Sox. He makes this, like, home run robbery catch. I think it's in the eighth or the ninth to save a perfect game for Mark Burley that, you know, Dwayne Weiss is, like, he was a, a decent player, like, nothing ever special, but this is, like, a 5% catch. Like, the average player does not make this catch, and the guy just decided to be Superman in the right moment. And I just love seeing something that epic. Yeah, I'm bringing that word back, by the way, Ross. That epic <laughs> in that moment, because I, that is a, that is like the greatest moment of their lives. You know, it's like the the, the pinnacle yeah. of sports. The perfect game is one of the rarest things in all of sports. There's been 24 in the millions of games that have been played. Like, well, I, I say millions. I don't know if there's been millions, but like yeah. there's been I mean, so many major league games played. The, you know, the, this year where there's, it, it's 32 teams, 162 per team, right? Or is there 30 teams in baseball? There's 30. Uh, it's 30, yeah. A five uh, we'll probably have 32 in the next 10 years, but we'll see. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, 30 times 162 over 2. 30 times 81 is 2,430 plus the playoffs, you yeah. know, which is a little variable. But, you know, yeah. another, you know, you're almost 20, almost 2,500 games a season for over 100 years. So they just, they just don't. Have it. So for everybody at home, if like you're aware of the game and like maybe unsure of what a perfect game is, no one reaches base. Yeah. Period. Twenty-seven batters up, twenty-seven batters down. Yeah. In order. Yeah. No, no walks. Base. No errors. No hit by pitch. No nothing. No 
hits nothing. Twenty seven like consecutive no, outs. Yeah, there's there's a there's been a bunch of no hitters, right? Where like no one gets a hit. That's still in, insanely impressive. Right? You kept there. the other team forever squaring a ball up, pretty much, right? This is you are perfect. You are actually yeah. perfect. We got like you know three to five no hitters a year, uh, depending on the years. Yeah, for a yeah. little while we were we were having it there. There was there was like two or three a year for like a little a little span. Yeah, so it's probably less that was than when that the overall, but that was when the sticky stuff started getting really yeah. really big. So if someone was really on that day, they could really be on. Yeah, but a perfect game is a lot of skill, a lot of luck, everything everything combined into being perfect. And it's really funny. The guy gave up 10 runs in his, in his last start, too. You're like, baseball, you know, it's <laughs> this is the way the game is. All right. Anyway, speaking of things that are perfect, maybe a little too perfect, the first magic thing that we want to talk about today is the fact that maybe the Wolverine is a little too good, Ross. And uh, I think one of the biggest reasons that we're seeing a problem with this card, you know, I'm not going to go out and say it needs to be banned. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be banned for us, but I'm not going to go out flat and say it needs to be banned, but something, this thing is immediately on my watch list. Something might need to be done if it continues on the trend that it's in, where we are just seeing modern deck after modern deck after modern deck just make lines for three or four of these cards, including, they did it as a meme, but somebody 5-0'd yesterday, and it got posted uh, with Burn. With Burn, yeah. Just yeah, like it was, it was Adam Wasbo. Oh, Oscar Moses, uh, you know, a grinder, if anybody knows that guy. Yeah. Uh, he's known for doing this as well. He did yeah, it, I he, think, with Oko. I think he 5 0 Burr with yep. Oko. Yeah. And he also had one of the greatest troll tweets of all time that I've ever seen. Because when he did this, this was like five years ago, right? When he did this. And he said like a tweet in three parts or whatever. It was like the first the first photo was like him putting Oko in a burr, or the next one was him doing a 5 0. And then he retweeted it with him doing it with the one ring. So like there was the third part or whatever, like five years yeah. later. I'm like, this is a good burn. Like, this is a really good long con. Well, well you know, crafted. Yeah, like, like, bravo, sir. Bravo. You know, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, Ross, I think this card, who boy. Uh, the price of it's been skyrocketing everywhere. They're expensive. Hell, a match online, obviously. Um, if you need to get a copy of it or, like, multiple copies of it, there is an, quote-unquote, easier way to do it. There's a bundle. Yeah, uh, you, you just sell your blood. Yeah, there you go. Maybe Plasma. a kidney. So, uh, but we, uh, we here at NTG Rance do not endorse the black market. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. <laughs> but yeah, I think I broke Ross for a moment. Give him a, just, give him a moment. We but, really don't like organ harvesting. <laughs> exactly, right? For magic cards. But uh, but yeah, so the thing is, is like, I, I think the biggest problem with this card is that it's colorless, right? Like this is, it's kind of like, uh, you know, smaller Earth Copter's problem was. I mean, it's a little less ubiquitous. I mean, it's more ubiquitous than that card. But the problem is, you have an aggro deck. You have a deck that wants this aggressive, tinted thing. Sure. Just cut four cards in some way, shape, or form and play this card. Because it doesn't affect your mana whatsoever. And, you know, we're seeing decks really get crazy with it. Like, we're seeing uh, Amulet Titan do it. Uh, one of the one of the uh, more extreme ones I've seen is the four-color control decks are kind of making a comeback. Yeah. And Omnath gives you all the mana um, to start. Yeah, Omnath cards. Like, you have a bunch of free spells yeah. with the evoke elementals. It's I've a great seen them home. play Omnath, play a land, gain the four life, sacrifice the sacrifice the fetch land, get the mana, play the ring. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like this game is over. Right. Yeah. Also, yeah. it recurs back a lot of the card advantage you're losing when you're playing the elementals. You know, you're pitching stuff instead oh, yeah. of your elemental stuff. So like that I dude, it's so good for us. On, like, on we, paper, do do? That, I don't think is there is a better home. It, it, you just have yeah. everything you want to surround the ring with. You have a ton of cheap interaction. You have an easy source of life gain and explosive mana bursts in the mid game after you draw a bunch of cards. 
that are then sustained by the fact that you're drawing a bunch of cards. You always have the fetch land every turn. You don't even yeah. need Ren and Six. So that home seems great. I agree with you that like the fact that it's colorless is why we're seeing it and everything, and it's so easy to slot into decks. That said, I you know we're at the point where it's overrated. It's still it's really good. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But we're at the point where... Everyone's trying it out a lot, too. Yeah, everybody's under the notion that this this card is really good and they want to put it in everything, but you yeah. got to understand why it's good. And the reason why it's good is because Modern is a format that is currently defined by the plethora of cheap disruption. You know, MH2 adding Fury, Solitude, Prismatic Ending, and Unholy Heat to a format that already had Thoughtseize, Inquisition, Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt you know, and uh, whatever else meant that, you know, we just have a ton of options for answering our opponent's permanence. And if you overload your deck with those, you need easy sources of card advantage to, you know, be able to pull ahead. And this is the best source of card advantage to pair with that plethora of cheap removals. So I, hey. I like it in decks that have a lot of cheap interaction. Now, that said, it can go into decks that don't have as much cheap interaction to combat the decks that are interacting with you, right? Hey. That's where it can play well in Tron and in Amulet, but that's a function of the metagame, not a function of it being particularly good in the shell, in the abstract. So I think we're going to see a little bit less of it in linear decks. We're also, should, we should see linear decks rise up to try to combat decks that are just playing a pile of removal and card advantage. That said, the linear decks that exist in modern are not particularly robust. So if we don't have that, then we might run into a real problem where the ring is completely dominant for a long stretch of time and action yeah. may need to be taken. So th that's the thing that I'm waiting on and I hope shows up to, you know, check everybody. Um, and, you know, maybe it's that the one ring, you know, be giving you protection for that one turn is a big deal, right? So normally, like, when you... You, know, you you remember the days of modern six years ago, seven years ago, when if you tapped out for a four mana sorcery, you were probably dead. Yeah, you just couldn't do it. Yeah, and nowadays that's no longer the case. Um, and it's especially not the case with the ring giving you protection for that turn. So what I would look towards are de combo decks that win with Thassa's Oracle, which gets Easy. around the you know yeah that's uh, a good point around that stipulation of the ring around the protection. And maybe you have the ring in your combo deck because you also have a bunch of cheap removal, you know, like Unholy Heat to protect your Ragavans. And then maybe you combo with something like Underworld Breach and Grinding Station and Box Amber. That'd be a cool deck. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> a, few, a few comments on what you said. I've had this stuck in my mind as you talk about, like, you think one of the best homes for it is the four-color deck that we're talking about with Omnia. Yeah. And I can't wait for someone to find a good way to have, like, altered rings or they have, like, Cheeto Crust on the ring. <laughs> you know, from from him wearing the ring, you know, anyone who gets that joke, I'm sure you'll get it. Um, for me, I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing maybe a slight change in some deck choices as well in modern, where like you can combat the ring. You know, you and I were talking about this, like if stuff like Kolagon's command and and a braid going to start showing up more in some of these decks well, to help combat against the, the ring. The ring is indestructible, so you uh, you need. Wait, to... I am so dumb. I like forgot for half a second. Yeah. The ring is indestructible. So, so you I mean things like haywire might. Sorry, that's what I meant. Um, I mean, I I had a list of things in my head, and I went there like haywire might. There's some white cards that get rid of it as well. Yeah, I'm sure that they're uh you know, they're the prismatic ending gets rid of it as well. But like yeah. anything along the uh, the actual. Why did I talk about cold Spade? That's really dumb of me. But um, yeah, it's it's because of the card that I was going to go down the list. Uh, you and I talked about this before the show that 
you can do some interesting stuff with Bone Crusher Giant against this card. You cannot target them with a Bone Crusher Giant. They have a target, or you could target yourself or one of your own creatures uh, with Stomp inside of Bone Crusher. It has this text where it says damage can't be prevented this turn. So if you have a bunch of creatures out and someone tries to fog you with the one ring, you can actually still kill them if you have yes. the Bone Crusher Giant out. So like that's something I, I thought might start showing up in like Burn and stuff some more maybe, because like you can you, you can't be targeted, but you still lava spike, right? Because lava spike says, "Oh no, does it say target uh, opponent? Does it say target opponent?" Right? Even um, if, uh, yeah, flame you could rift. flame rift, yeah, yeah, flame rift would work. You so yeah, them with goblin guide and idol. Maybe, on, maybe but... we see more bone crushers and like team of rhinos for that reason as well. Yeah, Just to, you yeah. know, because you're going to be able to probably get rhinos onto the battlefield before they can, you know, take over with the one ring. So. If you're able to race them and just get one more attack step out of it because of the stomp, that could be very useful. I'm still laughing at myself over here talking about Global Gods to me the lettering. Because I'm like, yeah, of course it's indestructible, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're we're at the uh we're we're sort of at the stage of like everybody's exploring the one ring and putting into everything, and that process is taking a little bit longer than it otherwise might because it's so hard to find, especially through loan services <laughs> on Magic Online. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to start getting to the point where the metagame reacts to it, and that's where it gets interesting. Is like, are these adjustments, you know, playing more combo decks, playing Bone Crusher Giants, playing Exile-based removals yeah. or artifacts, you know, are we're those things about... going to be enough to combat a card that is objectively very, yeah. very powerful and fits very, very well into a lot of modern decks and in, generally into how the modern format is played in 2023. So we're, we're yeah, entering like... that phase of it. I think we're, we'll get to the point where it balances out. Um, I don't think we're heading towards a ban, but we're in the point where it's on the watch list. Yeah, do cards like Spell Pierce and Annul. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Somebody start, start making comeback. What is, what's the other? Steel Sabotage? They can counter it or bounce a creature? Bounce an artifact. Like, you counter an artifact or bounce an artifact. So it's, okay. it's, well, it's, shit, that might be good in your own deck playing the ring. Yeah. You can counter theirs or you can bounce your own once it's tempted you to. I hope people don't on. start playing a null against my fucking one ring underworld breach deck. Yeah. Not knowing that would be Tannen. Yeah, it just stops everything and board yeah. back. Like, all your win conditions, one blue man get, get fucked. Yeah. No, I mean, like, there's there's a, there's a bunch of stuff like that that could start happening, you know, because, like, it, we talk about this in, it, it almost has the feeling that small metagames have. You know, when you look at a pro tour or, like, an imitational and you have these, like, very small amount of players playing so that you know that you can gear towards x amount of decks and you don't have to like get everything else it almost has that feel to it right as like that inbred like meta within a meta i'd say yeah going on narrow meta game yeah and so like either i'm wondering if we're going to be seeing you know more stuff like that but pretty much every list i'm seeing that's doing well is just yeah it's just got that card in there or ways to interact with you know like uh you know, grief does a pretty good job of you know getting it out of your hand. And so ahead of time, you know, thought seizes another card that you can use to kind of play against it. But you know, I'm seeing things like spell fear starting to make you know big comebacks in some of these decks. And I'm just going to be very tired, sick and tired of seeing the wandering. I am a little worried about the Praetor coming up, where it might be dominated by the card. So we'll see. Uh, it, it would be thematic with it being the Lord of the Rings Praetor. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, like one of the decks that did well at the showcase, or, I'm sorry, at the uh, challenge this weekend was Yawgmoth. It had four Bowmasters and it had three of the one ring. And the guy didn't say, like, I just couldn't find a fourth copy of the ring. I, I would have I played four. But, like, in even Yog. these, like, yeah, because, like, dude, think about it. It's 
it's a combo. Like, why why wouldn't you want to play the ring? And like, Orcus Bowmaster is making showing here in Myers as well is a really cool thing. But like, I'm just saying, like, any that deck card that's good against of, the ring. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, any of these decks that you're talking about, like I see people putting it in Tron, obviously, just any of these decks that you think you could fit it, it, it's just, it's a pretty good, easy card to just throw in. And that annoys me. You know, I'm looking at Tron right now, it's got four wonderings at it, and I'm like, yeah, that just makes sense to me. Really? Yeah, it, it's one of the best raw sources of card advantage they've printed in many years. Yes. You know, in, the, in the last 15 years, we've seen card advantage shift from you know, cards like Tidings and Opportunity, you know, that blue control decks had access to, but nobody else did. You know, this is like the, the yeah, early the 90s just, era of Magic. The Wondering just looks at Jace the Mind Sculptor and starts to laugh. Yeah. Like, literally laugh. Yeah. And then, then, we, then we shifted into this idea of card advantage, you know, of cascading card advantage that would, you know, you don't get as much up front, you know, it's not, a, you know, one card draw four or something like that, but you get, you know, one card every single turn over and over again with these Planeswalkers, and then we started playing, you know, creatures that could attack both attack planeswalkers, attack your opponent, and generate a card advantage. You know, the Titans were sort of the the pinnacle of this, at least for for standard level play. Uh, but things like you know, Mold Drifter, things like um, you know, Corsair Kruvix, Tireless Tracker, all examples of, of that new style of design. So interesting to see, you know, Watsi strike with you know this high of a power level on a card that ostensibly does nothing but draw cards. Uh, you know, cards like they, that have, have largely fallen out of favor outside of maybe like Sphinx's Revelation in Standard. Sure, yeah. But Revelation was almost like a cascading kind of effect because the first one drew the second one and then the second one drew card. the third one and the third one won the game. I, I miss I, I miss that card, by the way. Yeah. It was like kind of, kind of my heyday of playing Constructed Magic. That's like I was still learning a lot too. Not that I'm not I'm not learning still, but I was so back constructed back there. Hard, hard to play that one in a world of mystical dispute. Yeah, yeah. There's a fucked up magic L- card. Loki, one of my least years. favorite cards printed in the, the last five years. Mystical by the way. dispute is is very high on my list of just like really annoying. Ben, what's the one green one? Veil of Summer. Yeah, Veil of Summer is just obviously yeah. stupid. There's a there's another one green mana card that's very similar to it, but not as good. And I always accidentally name uh, Veil that of Autumn. Is, it's just Autumn's Veil. Autumn's Veil. Yeah, that's it. I, I always say that one instead on accident sometimes. And yeah, it, just unreal. Um, yeah. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen with it. Let's go ahead and uh, move to one of our other subjects because it kind of attaches to this one. And before we get into the, the deck and pie here, I actually kind of wanted to go over Lord of the Rings Limited since we're kind of been talking about that. You know, we've got the Pro Tour coming up. Um, there is a open that's going to be on Arena as well, and some of you may have played. Hey, Ross, have you drafted the set at all? Because I have drafted it a lot. I have not at all, so you're, you're carrying this segment, Tannen. Sure. So, um, let me try to, like, encompass it all and in, in how I would think about it. So, over the last year or two, we've had some really good limited sets, we've had some duds. I think... Yeah. Um, one I had to play a bunch was the dud. One? Yeah. All, all was one or whatever? I think yeah. that set was dog shit. Like, yeah, not not to the people that made it. Like, I'm not trying to say anything bad about. It. I just think the limited experience was bad. I did not enjoy it at all. I it drafted was very, it very little. I thought it was just bad overall. Mom, however, working machines, like an all timer, like maybe top five, maybe top three. Just a great experience all so around. Annoying. It was. I I liked it a lot. Um, I had some I had some weird list too. I like I actually really enjoyed the Kaladesh. I'm not Kaladesh. Uh, Cult. I actually really enjoyed Call Time in the last few years. That set was really cool. Um, but mom had this like, yeah, it, it had its ups and downs, right? It wasn't perfect, but it had this like cube feel to it that I kind of liked. 
um, this set I think is actually pretty decent. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I really didn't like it at first. So I'll tell you why in a minute. I've come around to liking it a lot more. It has a lot to do, a uh, spoiler, has a lot to do with winning versus losing. <laughs> you know, I lost a lot in the beginning. I'm winning a lot more now. Um, I start to understand the format more. Because here's the biggest thing I can say about this format, especially when it comes to draft. I haven't done a lot of steel, but when it comes to drafting, this this can carry over a little bit because it has to do with straight the cards. This set is not balanced whatsoever. I think greed is unplayable, Ross. Like, I will avoid greed at all costs. I, you can draft green. You could have green decks. I will avoid it at all costs. I'm telling you this. Um, I think it's like all the other colors, with probably black being the best, and then all the other colors. And then what's what's the thing? Then there's a mile of shit. Then there's us. You know the 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 money ball thing. But uh, but yeah, black. I mean, green is so bad. But it's pretty cool. There's a bunch of archetypes in the in the format that are really cool as well. Like. There's like some red-white aggressive decks that I think are okay. I haven't had a ton of success with them, but I've been beaten by them a bunch. They're pretty good. There's like a mighty red-greenish type thing going on and green-blue type thing going on. Those are fine, not great. Because uh, again, you're using green. That's what you think. The stuff you really want to look out for is, I think black is the best color just because it has the the best commons by far. Like all of its commons are good. Just like almost every single one of them is a hit. You've been playing almost all of them. There's card advantage, there's removal. There's cheap and easy ways to tempt yourself with the ring. By the way, the more and more I play with it, that that ability is uh, very interesting. It's extremely yeah. difficult to play correctly through an entire game. Oh, actually, I have drafted this set once. We drafted it in um, in Ohio for F and M. I had to read all the cards. Yeah, I, I don't have to anymore. But you know, <laughs> that was the hardest part. My first, my very first draft, I pulled up an arena. By the time I got done reading the rare and the uncommons, I had to pick a card. <laughs> you do not, you do not have time. So yeah. I recommend maybe reading a little bit in real life. You have a, it's a little easier. Um, but I, I think black is the best color. Um, yeah, I heard red black was was the best thing to do. Yeah, red black are probably the two best colors overall. They have like really good commons. Yeah. They, they they blend well together. Um, green is playable if you pair it with black pretty pretty regularly. But black needs to be like the crotch of your deck, unless you were literally the only green draft at the table. Then even then, I still might avoid it. It's not good, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of the go figure the blue red spells deck in this format. Yeah, that the is what I drafted. Is, yeah, I think the deck is pretty good. Uh, I've started to do a lot better with it, and I realized that you needed to be uh, a little more aggressive with some of the cards and like make sure that you chip in damage because the two main ways that you win with the bluish red decks involve uh, two uncommons. One of them uh, I can't remember the exact names. It's a red enchantment that tempts you when it comes into play, and then when you cast this for sorcery, it shocks something. It's like fiery. Fiery Inscription, I think is the name of it. And then the next one is, it's like Gandalf something. It's like a red-blue sorcery that deals X damage to target creature, where X is equal to the number of instances of sorcery you have in your graveyard, except it has trampled. So it deals the X's damage to the player. So you, you find a lot of games where, you know, you're you're trading, you're like playing all these cheap, you know, cards that draw cards. Like there's a birthday surprise. It's just one man to draw a card, the rate comes you. You're just going through your deck as quickly as possible. Trying to keep yourself alive, you 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 chip in some damage with. There's um, it's like Rally the Hornberg or something like that. It's like one in the red. It makes two uh, humans and they have haste. And humans have haste to start. Like that card's great in your deck because it's a it's a shock that also leaves bodies on the in play and it counts for your stuff later. Uh, there's a two one common in red. That's one in the red. It's two. It's a two one. And when you punish for free, it pains it for one. Like you can play one or two of those just to get some chip damage in. And then you're just trying to go through your entire deck. And there's like multiple ways to mill yourself. You can mill yourself. There's a blue sorcery that amasses two and it puts it into sorcery on top of your deck for your graveyard. Yep. So you can loop 
the red-blue card over and over again to hit him a bunch, which is really good, and, like, that's just the way you win the game. You play a few bounce spells, some counter spells, some card advantage, and yeah. you do that. You just it see your entire deck good. and, like, figure out which yeah. your super powerful card that you got in your pool yep. you're going to kill them with because you're going like to find playing, it every game. Yeah, it, exactly. You're going to see 30-something uh, there's some card every game. It's like playing Delver or like the blue-white flash decks in standard. You, you know your deck. It's a math problem. You just have to figure it out from there. You like yeah. solve pure there. Also, tempting works really well in your deck. You're going to have like these one ones. If like you can make them unblockable and get in three or four damage, or if you get to the fourth one quickly, to where it actually becomes a real threat, that's an actual problem. Yeah. You know, I've really enjoyed Bilbo in this deck. The retired uh, burglar, I think is what's called is that the, the uncommon the, one. The uncommon one. It's like yeah. a one. Yeah, it's, it's like one, one three, three for one blue red. I had two copies but of when my it deck. Hits, but when it hits, you get a treasure. That card's yeah. insane. Okay, yeah, I had two of them. It was when, nice. um, what was the set before this that had land cycling on creatures? Was it was it Mom? Yes. I feel like they were bad in that set. Like, they were not good. They were a trap. In this set, all the land cyclers are busted. I think they're yeah. all great. Cycling for one them. is... Yeah. Well, it did land game. cycles for one, but also the cards themselves are good. Yeah, like like cast it like the blue one draw is tidings. It's five mana. It's kind of tidings. five mana. Draw three cards. The black one is a six five that has to be triple blocked. You know, uh, and, and you know, so I think they're great because they help smooth out your draws, right? I mean, you could play fifteen land. I've been playing fifteen land decks, fourteen land decks, and I have like four or five of these. It's very easy. The blue one again, it's an instant sorcery in your graveyard. There are a lot of ways to get it back and stuff as well. Um, so. When I'm drafting a lot, I'm drafting a lot of black X decks where I'm trying to play black, blue, mm-hmm. and black, red as the high height. I'm playing blue decks where I'm trying to play usually blue, red uh, as like the main thing to do in this format. And I think that's just the way you do it. And then white can be good. The blue white deck is fine. Um, you know, draw extra cards a turn, do something. They're gen- like the cards that do that generally aren't super worth it. Like you should play, but it shouldn't be all you build your deck around. Your blue white deck should be trying to get aggressive and going wide and win that way. And the the white lane cycler is actually pretty decent. It's not always allow you to play maybe a few less lands in your deck and make sure that you get those land drops. But it's a, it's like a six drop three three flyer. But when it comes into play, all of your future get plus one plus one. I mean plus one plus zero in first strike. So like it can be like a, a finisher for you as well. Also, it leaves behind a three three flying body, which is pretty nice. And when you're in, if you're white, you definitely want to be pairing that usually with red or blue if you want to be somewhat aggressive and then you can kind of pair with black too like a black white deck is also playable but black just goes I think, that's yeah do you find that once you figure out what colors you are you're you know exactly what your deck is doing like each color combination does like just does its one thing so yes and no i i, I do think like overall there is a like i think you're right like 90 something percent of the time if that's if that's the way that i can answer this um, there's like little minute difference things like you might not like a card as much you might like a card a little bit more um, like there's two blue balance spells in the set that differ quite a bit there's one it's like one in the blue return target non-token creature to hand and the ring tempts you that one seems really good right like it tempts you it's two mana bounce of a I like the card a lot in my aggressive shells right yeah. if I'm playing like the blue red deck that card's great huge tempo card maybe make one of my creatures unblockable for a turn or two that's huge the thing that it says is it says non-token, which is very important in this format because there are so many tor- uh, tokens, right? You make a ton of different tokens, and armies are such a big part of this format, you can't interact with that. But there's a four-mana one that returns a non-land permit, and it makes it, it shuffles it in like third or fourth from the top or something like that, and it just puts it back in their deck, right? There are a lot of ways to shuffle people's decks or to mill your opponents. You can make sure you get rid of the card if it's an actual problem. 
or just buys you the time. I like that one more in my, um, I'm just trying to like, you know, like my, my blue black decks, right? I'm trying to win the game, get there eventually with card advantage. I need to have an answer to everything type thing. It's also a good fit if you're like low on actual removal because the other one doesn't really fix the problem for you, right? It's just a tempo play. Yeah. This one can fix the problem for multiple turns. But yeah, I think it's pretty easy once you figure out where you should be in your draft to figure out what you should be doing with your deck. But I would definitely put a little emphasis on getting tempted by the ring aggressively if possible. Like, I mentioned Birthday Surprise, the one blue mana uh, sorcery that draws a card and tempts you. The black one is Raise Dead that tempts you. And then the red one is Shock, which is obviously great. Or whatever. But all of these, like, the cheap ones, I, weren't, I was not taking them high enough in draft, and now I'm taking them a lot higher because, like, they fit really well in your curve, you know, filling out your turns, making stuff happen, but tip to you is important. You want to get to the second temp and the fourth temp as quickly as possible. The second one is where your, your creature starts looting. The third one makes it to where, like, you know, if they block, they lose their thing, but, like, that one isn't as... It's, it's impactful, yeah. but not as important as looting. They're, they're or, not blocking anyway. Yeah, they're usually not blocking anyway. It can come up. I've had games where it's been relevant. Yeah. Because I've had a I've had a one three and they've had a one two. But it's definitely the least yeah. relevant of the four yeah. abilities. But it does it does pop up. Like like I said, I had like, you know, Bilbo, they had like a one two and they're just blocking. I was like, okay, tempt again. Now if you block, yeah. you lose your creature. And then once you get the fourth one, your creature's a real threat. Yeah. Your one your one power creature is attacking and dealing and dealing a four to them. Now, which if you're playing in like the blue rush strategy, that is huge. Right? You know, like you get that in twice, you could probably kill your opponent with all your other triggers and stuff like that. So that's my overall arcing thing. Um, I've got green way at the bottom. To be white, it needs to have specific things to go on. But then I love all the other colors. And they work really, really well together. And if black's open, go for it because it's got all the best commons. So uh, there's the format for you in a nutshell. Um, if your experience has been different than mine, take what I say with a grain of salt. You know, like, like I said, I'm, I played the game differently than most people. I don't have the highest win percentage of all time. I'm a decent limited player. I only have the fourth highest. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I do try things out a lot. Well, I mean, you know, like if it's, if it's a rare I haven't seen before, I'm, I'm taking it, right? Because I'm going to try it out and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, overall, I think that's a, if you stick to that, what I was saying there, and hopefully I covered mostly everything. If you stick to that, you'll do, you'll do fine in the format. That's a really good cheat sheet. Now... We just went in depth limited. Let's go depth constructed, Ross. Um, there's a deck that won the Pioneer Showcase Challenge over the weekend. So this is a showcase. So this is no joke. And I'm pretty sure this guy went, this, I'm sorry, this person went undefeated throughout the entire tournament. I think they might have had a concession in the last round of Swiss. Someone's talking about, but they also might have, I think they might have XO'd Swiss game-wise as well. I remember some people were talking about like this This deck did really well. I don't think it's, you know, oh my god, this is the most busted thing you could be doing. I do like this deck a lot. Like I said, if I were to be playing Pioneer this weekend, this is what I would be playing. And uh, how would you describe it? It's just like red-white PNLR, I, I think is the easiest way to put I, it. I would call it Prowess. It's, it's very so, similar to the Prowess decks that had a lot okay. of card advantage. Yeah, so let me like kind of read the deck off for people at home so they know what we're talking yeah. about here. So I, the I would call suite, it Pia Prowess. Pia Prowess, okay. So... The creature suite is four Monastery Swiss Spear, four Soul Scar Mage, four Burrow Crusher Dragon, and, and here's the card that we're talking about, because this is the new Pia. This is four PNLR Council of, or is it Revival? It's really small. Sorry, I'm, the, I'm pulling the card Con- Console of Revival. Oh, it's Console. Okay, God. I have, I'm, I'm looking at a small version of the, uh, what is it, the Kaladesh one? You know, with yeah. the, the weird thing? All right. So this is a 2-3 for Red to White. Uh, if, if you remember us talking about the card, I said that I liked this one. 2-3 for, for Red White. It's a legendary creature. It's human artificer. Offers you control of haste. 
Whenever you play a land from exile or cast a spell from exile, create a 1 1 colorless doctor artifact creature token with fly, and obviously they have haste from this card. So already we've seen Bone Crusher Giant that can make this happen, right? Then you go down to the enchantments, and we've got a couple of enchantments here. One of them's going to trigger this thing, and then we got some other cool stuff. Oh, uh, sorry, it doesn't trigger this thing, but we got some cool stuff in here. The enchantments, we got four Chain to the Rocks, really good prowess enabler, just an answer to everything. Three Showdown of the Skulls. This one, however, is going to uh, trigger PNR, plus just be a huge engine and a good way to finish the game. And then four of a card that you and I both loved when this card came out. Komodo faces Kazakhstan. Just really, really good at triggering prowess and making those creatures. A big thing for me is getting Soulscar Mage or Monastery Swift Throw the plus and plus one counter so they can't be shocked in this format. That's a big thing for me early. And then it's a, it's a, also the back end of this has a lot of mutilage, like where if you kill a creature or the back end's out, it's exiled. Very relevant in today. You know, like a lot of Phoenix decks are making comebacks and stuff. Um, it's got a, a couple of instants in there. It's got four play with fire. Pretty important in your deck that you'll be able to scry at some point too, but it's just a good shock. And then it has a soul partition, a one of, like whatever. Um, but here, here's where the deck really comes together. The four sorceries are kind of what, I'm sorry, the eight sorceries kind of what tie it together here. You've got Reckless Impulse and Rings Resolve. Both of these exile the top two cards of your library, and until your end of your next turn, you can play those cards. So your deck's extremely cheap, Ross. So if you're paying too many to do this, you can probably play everything in your deck. If you play any of these, I'll pee the large out. You're making one ones every single time, and you're just chaining through the deck. And kind of like Sphinx's Revelation earlier, you're talking about where the first one finds the second one. Yeah. This kind of does the same ish thing where it gets you deeper in your deck. So you just, the card flow keeps going. So you're playing a red aggressive deck that's splashing white for like some removal and some, some good power cards that also has a really robust card advantage engine. Yeah, which, and which is the great. way I used to think of prowess decks back in the day. You know, these are this is be like modern prowess. You know, yes, those are decks that had instead all card advantage from whether you know a companion that they played from light of the stage from you know uh, bedlam reveler in the, the older builds. So they have this explosive potential. They could just you know kill you on turn three with a great draw, and you had to respect that. But if you went too hard respecting that, then they would beat you in the long game by just drawing a million cards. This deck does the same thing. Now, this is a deck with 12 one-mana threats between the, the prowess creatures and Kumano faces Kakazan. It also has a lot of cheap, flexible removal. Chain to the Rocks, as you mentioned, is excellent. Uh, and then a ton of card advantage. Showdown on the Skulls, Ren's Resolve, Reckless Impulse, all of which enable Pia, which is in its, of itself like a form of card advantage. All, you know, A lot of your lands and spells are now generating additional Thopter tokens. Um, so this is a really cool deck. Um... I'm super interested in it. It gets to play Gigantha as a companion for additional card advantage. Yep. You know, gets to play a, a pretty reasonable sideboard. Yeah, um, white really gives you some really good sideboard cards. Sorry, yeah. cut you off. I, I really particularly like Invasion of Gobicon. Yes, great against same. control decks, great against combo decks, um, and, uh, you know, plays really well with Thopters that you generate off of Pia, being yeah. able to just keep pumping them, uh, you know, mm -hmm. turn after turn once you transform the Invasion. Uh, and just generating haste creatures to attack it down if you, you don't have three power on the battlefield already. So um, I, I'm, I'll, I think this deck is sweet. Uh, you know, obviously because of chain, you have to fiddle with the mana base. So that you know, if you look at this and say why are there are only three inspiring vantage and two needle verge pathway, you could just play four of each of those and have better mana. You got to play a certain number of mountains. I think eleven is on the low end, but an acceptable number. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think chain of the rocks is well worth the you know. Uh, cost to the mana base 
you know, there's still 13 white sources for your, what, 12 main deck white cards. Yeah. And you, and you have a good number of white cards in your sideboard, but you're probably not going to have more than 15, 16 in your deck at any given time. And you can keep the non-white hands in this deck. Uh, I think a lot of them, if you have one of the sorceries, like the Simples or Rins Resolve, because by the time you get to turn three or four, you're going to see yeah. what, six, seven, eight cards. So you're likely to find a white source. With all the card advantage in this deck, though, I'm kind of inclined to raise the land count. 20 seems low. You know, when you have a when you have cards like Renz Resolve and Reckless Impulse, like you want to make all your land drops. And it, you ha you're going to have things to do if you make all your land drops with all the card okay. advantage in this deck. I'd be inclined to like, you know, cut the Soul Partition and play a 21st land. I, I could possibly buy that. Like Soul Partition, it's, I, that's one of those ones where like, whenever I see a deck like this, right, just a bunch of fours, a bunch of fours, like literally the deck's all fours except for three Shonot Skulls, right? And then there's one Soul Partition. It's like, I wonder if this is the last second they were like, they're like, I want one other interactive card. And they just like looked in their binder of like, what are all the red, white yes. interactive cards? And they're like, oh, that one seems cool. I wonder and if there's it, like a specific, like there might be something I'm missing. Uh, I mean, card, you want you know? exile removal against um, um, mono green and just stalling them yeah, out, you sure. know, exiling a good point. Cavalier or Old Growth Troll for a turn or two it can be really everything. important. Yeah. And it yeah, hits yeah. all non-land permanents. So you could exile, say, a... Um, a temporary lockdown on their end step to set up a big turn. You can exile uh, you know, uh, Enigmatic Incarnation and really set that sure. deck back, you know, hit Shieldred. So it's the flexibility in a deck that doesn't have room for a ton of removal. You know, you want play with fire and chain to the rocks. Those are your bread and butter removal spells uh, because they're cheap and chain is so efficient. And then, you know, your one other one is slightly less mana efficient, but incredibly flexible. I think that's yeah. perfectly reasonable. Obviously, if your metagame that you're expecting is more narrow, you can play a removal yeah. spell that's more, you know, particular to that metagame. Soul Partition is more of a I'm prepared for everything, or at least trying to kind of card, which is perfectly reasonable if that if you're expecting something wide open, which is what Pioneer has been recently. You know, Rakdos has yeah. fallen off. It's no longer 20% of every tournament. It's more like 10 to 12%, and it's still among the most played decks, either it or Monograin usually at most tournaments. So we're looking at Pioneer metagames where the most played decks are at 10 to 12%. So it is a very wide open metagame. Yeah, I'm just really excited about having an aggro deck in the format. You know, we talked about a lot when the red white uh, convoke deck started making a, a show. Yeah. And uh, speaking of which, that deck's made it into modern now too. I haven't seen that list that oh, developed I did. over the weekend. I saw it's it from, from Mason. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of this right here because we've had the monastery Swiss Bear Soul Scar Mage like Bone Crusher Giant kind of shell for a while. Right, and I remember early in playing year, that was like a good thing you do. All the red decks just started with that, right? You know, we threw some other stuff in there, but now that we've got you know, play with fire being a really good shock. You know, you got you know, they fundamentally reprinted one, you know, uh, reckless impulse with Rin's resolve, and I'm just I'm just a really big fan of this deck because this is kind of like what I am doing with people. It's like you get to ask a lot of questions. They got to have all the right answers, and then even if they do, you're just going to cast like showdown yeah. skulls. Sometimes you just beat them with the volume of questions that you ask. You're yeah. like, you might have had the answer to the first one of these, but how about the second one? Well, how about the third one? <laughs> how about the fifth threat that I'm playing? I know you've you know. heard of the first question, but have you had the second one? Yes. <laughs> what about yeah, second more, questions? Yeah, a little more, little more on theme. On theme is a body, but... This deck looks sweet to me. Yeah, I'm a big also, fan. Also, I'm pretty sure I own the vast majority of it. So, same. <laughs> uh, same. I I might need to find... like I might not have four Rins results sitting around. I'm probably just going to go order those. And also, I need to find, uh, I probably need to order, I, I'm pretty sure I have four Battlefield Forge, but I don't have Apocalypse Battlefield Forges. Yeah, I, don't, I have like, uh, let's be Origins Battlefield Forges yeah. for sure. 
Yeah. Also, I didn't see if I have like showdowns called sitting around. Uh, the big thing for me is I'm pretty sure I have chained the rock sitting around. And if not, I think that's the card, by the way, that's like it's starting to show up in Pioneer a lot. I think that card has actually like gone way up in value. Oh, well, I already own four, so I'm, please I'm tell me it's like right a million dollars now. Well, a million dollars is relevant. All right, so chain to the rocks. Yeah, if I remember right, these have gone up quite a bit. Uh, oh, no, it looks like they have Nope. Maybe I was wrong. I remember there's some car I saw recently, Mike, that went way up, and I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. Foil chain to the rocks are, are a little high. That's I probably saw the, the the foil versions are like 15 bucks or something. But yeah, they're like one or two bucks. So yeah, this is a, a pretty affordable deck overall, too, when it comes down to it. Like, there's all the cards in here that are, you know, you don't have She Holdred in here. You don't have a card that's like 40 or 50 bucks, right? You don't have, you know, uh, Ren 6 or something along those lines. Uh, I know that's not in. So if you own a lot of these cards, it's not going to be too expensive to finish back out. You know, the, the really expensive stuff you're looking at is like the land base. You're looking at four secret foundries, and you don't have those. You're probably yeah. going to put up 50 or 60 bucks for that. But like, but that's all. Other like, than if, that, you're, if you've been building a Pioneer collection, you know, the lands are the first thing you should acquire, basically yeah. for any format, like what are the popular lands. And yeah. shock lands, you know, also see playing modern. So, yeah, it's 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 nice to have us if you have the kind of collection where you can accrue these things, a set of shock lands, fetch lands are like pretty yeah. good investment in the, in the law. This deck is listed. Is that is that the paper price or the moto price? Yeah, not sure. Uh, but I yeah, I think that's like, the, like I think the saying, yeah, the paper price is listed at $185, which for a pioneer deck is super cheap. And the most expensive card is Sacred Foundry, they're 72. So if you already yeah. have Sacred Foundries, you're not going to spend Being more like than a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. So like, also I think this deck's going to be a, a player. Like this, this deck is good. It's obviously very competitive. You know, like you yeah. don't have the surprise factor that this one probably had in the first turn where people are like, what's going on? They're playing cards of, like, that I'm not expecting kind of stuff. But I think this deck is very good. I, and I've, you I think it does a really good job of threading the needle between aggro and mid-range. And yeah. I like that. I like you know a deck that can that plays two two roles and does them both quite well, and that's what I'm seeing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big big fan. Um, a few other housekeeping things uh, for the show uh, this week, Ross. I wanted to give a shout out to Brian Gottlieb. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Brian Gottlieb, you know, was on another podcast that's been the name's changed what like three or four times. I think you know it was like the Gam Podcast, Arena Decklist. Uh, the the podcast of Jerry Thompson. Yeah, right. That podcast. Uh, he has the last episode uh, last week. I think he just started taking the the flesh and blood stuff seriously. He has you know flying out to New Zealand to really really work on the game a lot more. And uh, you know I don't want to get too too much further. He and I are you know personal friends. Uh, I don't want to you know volunteer stuff about his life you know too much that you might not want us people know. But for coming from someone like you and me who, who've been who've been around this and doing this for a long time. It's a labor of love. You have to put out a lot of time and a lot of effort for these podcasts. And they've done just, you know, bajillion episodes over there, way bigger than we were. I mean, are all, you know, very, very successful over there, huge following. And for them to continue to put out content, the rate they did at the quality they did, just bravo, sir. Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've also, you know, known Brian for, uh, I don't know a decade, quite how probably. long. Yeah. yeah. I actually I played a team Grand Prix with him with him and Andrew Shrout shortly after I moved here in in 2016. Andrew and I needed needed a third and we picked him up late, um, and he ended up being the best player on our team. He's very good. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, <laughs> he's one of those very unassuming people to realize how good he was. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. I, he, because he never had you know the resume, but that's because he was off you know 
doing tons of other things. So yeah, he had like a real life, yeah. he's a real life resume. It's pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, incredibly smart dude. Uh, very good at magic, and I wish him the best in his future <laughs> endeavors. Uh, one other piece of uh, bookkeeping, just because I, I felt the need to say this. I, I think I put it in our Discord. If you haven't watched season two of a show that just came out the last week called The Bear, if you haven't watched season one or you haven't watched season two yet that's come out, please do so. It's It might be the best season of television show I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was so good that I felt like I needed to talk about this on the show. If you follow Cedric on Twitter, he's been going off about it. Um, Ross, this show is so good. It is unbelievably I started well watching it when it first came out and I I couldn't really get into it yeah I don't when know I tell you the season two is perfect yeah there I are... might, have, might have to give it another shot so so I want, I want to look this up real quick so in season two there are two episodes that are back to back it's episode six and episode seven you always watch the show knows what I'm talking about um let me pull up their their rankings on so the show is at 8.4 on IMDb which is like an absurdly high ranking for a show but for, for season two, I want to talk about the fact that it, there are 10 episode seasons. It, it has like five episodes over a nine in the season. And uh, episodes six and seven come in at a 9.8 and a 9.7. It's pretty and good. I thought, I thought episode seven, which is called Forks. It's a, it's a show about the food yeah. industry. So, yeah. Yeah. I've watched like four episodes of it. Yeah. Episode seven made me cry. It was unbelievable you have to watch every episode leaving up to it you can't just watch it by yeah, itself. yeah. You, you'd be fine I'll, watching but i'll, you have I'll to give under- the show another shot yeah you have to understand the characters to understand yeah. like to really get the episode and it is the amount of character development in, in this show and like just how good everything is it's like it's like ted lasso if it was like more real you get what i'm saying like you yeah. love the characters but like they fuck up and then there's like redemption and then like there's real life you know what i mean it's a little more real it's, it's a little more r-rated than, than L- ted lasso grittier. yeah uh, this is so like Ted Lasso. He's like he's like a, a bumbling uh, soccer coach. This one is a uh, you know a line cook into like owning his own restaurant kind of guy that's yeah. like sending through the things that like you know has a Michelin star it, it, and is like in Ted Lasso with the, real all, all the humans stuff. are real and all the interpersonal stuff is real and very very good. But like the soccer stuff is very idealized. You know and the, the, back, the backdrop of the show is idyllic. Yeah, the consequences don't feel as real as well. Yeah. but in this show you're like oh shit <laughs> stuff yeah. happens because like it's a little more real. Is a and, I absolutely adore like almost every one of the characters in the show. You either love to learn or love to hate people, but like in the way that like really good shows make you do. Yeah, you know it's, I mean? so, it's emotionally evocative. Yeah, uh, this is a show you need to sit down and really watch. This is not something you can have on while you're like washing the dishes or doing something else. Like sit down with the you know the thirty well, to forty minute episode. I already washed the dishes today, Tannen. Well, there you go. Granted, I'll have to do it again after I finish dinner. Yeah, of course. I do throw so many dishes now, and it's all I do with you at home mostly, so it's great. Yeah. But, Ross, I love you. Thanks for the great episode this week. It's been awesome. Um, we're looking forward to the next one, too. This one, uh, hopefully, we can get some more results from Pioneer, see all that shifts. And I really can't wait to see how Modern is going to do in the next couple weeks when it comes to the One Ring. And I can't wait to see what happens at the Pro Tour and how they're going to like approach this stuff. I'm like super interested in that. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got Pro Tour coming up in about a month at this point. We've got there's a team SCG next month, so you know, we should have, a, and the, and there's energies coming up. So we've got we got a ton of paper results that we'll get over the next month to look at. Speaking of the t- team uh, energy, there's also a team SCG. Like I think you might have mentioned both. Uh, there's yeah. a team SCG coming up, and I actually got recruited to play on a team with uh, Brad Nelson and Corey Baumeister, and they're like, "Hey, we need you for like our legacy seat." I was like, "Oh, cool! That sounds great." I was like, "Let me look into all of it." So I'm throwing Corey right. 
I look into like when and where it is. I'm like, okay, that's doable. Like I don't have anything that weekend. And then I go look at legacy and I'm like, never mind. <laughs> My deck yep. is unplayable. <laughs> Corey and I casted legacy last week for mana traders. And the, some of the stuff people were doing was wild. Yeah. The coolest it deck. Is the actual wild west now. There was a, somebody lost, they swept the Swiss, but then of course lost the quarters. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, but they were playing um, Paradox Engine and the One Ring with Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, and a bunch of keys. Excuse me? And Soul Lands and Karn. And that was basically the deck. And Mystic Forge. And then you either won with one Emrakul or a sideboard yeah. uh, Walking Blista that you Karn for. Yeah, that's, I think this is the biggest problem right now for Delver in Legacy is that everyone's playing Ancient Tomb. And like that card yeah. has always been very problematic for you as a Legacy but player. You're like, Oh, but you yeah. have like Days and Weasley. It wasn't that bad. I'm like, go play against Ancient Tomb decks. Tell me how fun it is. There's a <laughs> million Ancient Tombs in City of Traders right now. Sure. The deck that won was Mono Black Helm of Obedience combo. Yeah. With Leyline and Dothy Voidwalker and uh, the, you know, Opposition Agent to screw your fetch lands and also like give them a bit of an aggro plan and griefs. That deck was cool. Yeah, there like, was a lot of a lot of Soul Land decks, a lot of cop people trying out the One Ring, but the Paradox Energy deck seemed really sweet. Like we were yeah. watching a game where it's like, He's got to deal with his own wondering, got a legend rule it, but we got all these ancient tombs. Like, we're, we're just at too low of a life. We got too aggressive with this one ring, and then it just like drew three cards and killed their opponent. And I was <laughs> like, okay, this person clearly knows their deck better than we do. <laughs> you just draw a bunch of cards and you never die. Yeah. Uh, breaking news, real quick, before we, we got the show, uh, uh, Woe spit out some breaking news. Uh, James Harden is picking up his $35.6 million player option and working in the seven seekers to exploit trade scenarios. It is believed that he's played his last game for Philadelphia. Ross's face is incredulous right now. Nice. Where are they trading him? Oh, we don't know. So Clippers we'll have to find out. Knicks expected to be among the teams that will engage the Sixers on a potential James Harden trade. All right. We'll have to see. Maybe we can talk about that on the uh, the next oh, episode. Man, there, it could be like a Paul George swap from the Clippers. The Knicks, it would Ooh. be a bunch of young young players. It'd be like yeah. RJ Barrett. RJ yeah, Barrett would definitely been trying be the, Barrett the main part forever, of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, Oh man! For everybody that listened this week, thanks for listening. A lot of uh, non-magic at the beginning. We got to a decent. I feel like the magic that we did get into this episode was very deep diving and like dense. So that's good. Kind of like yeah. balanced it out. So like you know, since we're talking about the beer, we had like the sword bay at the beginning, and then we went to like the main course, and it was uh, <laughs> it was it was a large steak. You got the, a sor large... the sorbet is supposed to be between courses, Stan, and it's a palate. I'm cleanser. aware. I'm, I'm aware. We don't that's have it at the beginning. Well, th that's why the show is weird, Ross. Shut up. <laughs> I love you, buddy. All right, everybody at home, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of MTG Rants.